Welcome to another Beyond Infinity with Piers Cunningham. The United States is heading back to the moon, and it's doing so with a program called Artemis. Artemis is an appropriate name. It's from the Greek, and Artemis was the Greek goddess of the hunt, the wilderness, wild animals, the moon, and chastity. Artemis is the daughter of Zeus and Leto and the twin sister of Apollo. So as everyone knows, Apollo was the manned project to to land men uh, on the moon in the uh, late 1960s and 1970s, originally outlined by John F. Kennedy, the president, uh, in the early 1960s to do it within the decade. And that's what they did with Neil Armstrong. Uh, in fact, there were two landings uh, in uh, 1969. So they managed to sneak it in just before the end of the decade. It was a huge success. They had a couple of, uh, of narrow brushes with disaster, Apollo 13, Apollo 12 got hit by lightning. I think it was Apollo 15 when it splashed down, only two of its three parachutes opened, so it was quite a hard impact onto the ocean before those astronauts were picked up. So it wasn't absolutely without hiccup, but the Apollo program overall was a huge success, very costly, uh, but amazing to you know what was able to be achieved with 1960s technology. And you know, bear in mind that your your smartphone that you carry around in your pocket is far more powerful than the uh, the computers that ran the guidance system that enabled the astronauts to land on the moon. Apollo was a huge success, a big boost for American morale. They'd had a difficult decade. There were civil rights movements. There were assassinations. There was uh, the, the worsening situation with the Vietnam War. But the Apollo program, landing men on the moon, it, it beat the Russians in the space race. And the technology that went on from there, uh, that came out of that, whether it was navigation, whether it was computer technology, Teflon, Velcro, these were some of the, the things that stemmed from the Apollo program. So when people ask, oh, what was the benefit? It cost a fortune. Well, there were definitely technology spin-offs uh, that flowed and a whole generation. You know, I think it was about 400,000 plus people were engaged with Apollo at the peak of the program in the, uh, the late 1960s. A lot of those people went on to careers in high tech, became entrepreneurs. It certainly paved the way for America to be the the technology leader in the world that it is today in Silicon Valley with its emphasis on entrepreneurship and high technology development and startup technology companies a lot of that can be traced back to those heady days of Apollo and the space race of the 1960s so Artemis is the American effort to get back to the moon and it's pretty ambitious it is envisaging men will be back on the moon by 2024. There's a lot to do before then, but I guess one of the things that's encouraging is that the instead of it just being a government-only space program with government-only technology, albeit that was developed in conjunction with the private sector, as was the, the Saturn V moon rocket, different segments of that were made by different private aerospace companies under contract to NASA. Nowadays, with companies like SpaceX, uh, their heavy lift rocket, uh, the Crew Dragon, which has successfully sent astronauts up to the ISS and safely returned them, 
their new massive rocket, which is potentially going to be able to go to Mars and you know, very heavy lift capability under development. All these other offerings, Blue Origin is another one, Bigelow Aerospace with inflatable modules for space stations and human habitation. Another one is Virgin Galactic with their emphasis on space tourism. There are a bunch of private companies, uh, some that have been supplying NASA hardware for decades, others that are newer to the scene. These include Aerojet Rocketdyne. Now, they've, they've been a, a contractor f- to NASA for years. They've got a transfer vehicle that's being studied. Boeing also has a descent element study, two descent element prototypes, a transfer vehicle under consideration and a transfer vehicle prototype, a refueling element study and a refueling element prototype. Then there's Blue Origin, which has got a uh, descent element study, a transfer vehicle and a transfer vehicle prototype under development. Uh, They've also got a mock-up and quite advanced designs actually for a, a lunar lander, similar but bigger than the Apollo Lunar Lander, the LEM as it was known. The Blue Origin concept actually allows for multiple different payloads to be delivered to the surface. Lockheed Martin Space Systems, they've got a a descent element study and four descent element prototypes, a transfer vehicle study and a refueling element study. Northrop Grumman, they've got a descent element study, four descent element prototypes, a refueling element study, and a refueling element prototype. SpaceX, a descent element study, and one descent element prototype. And Orbit Beyond, two refueling element prototypes. So you can see just from those examples that I've given how there's uh, lots of different technologies and different uh, pieces of the jigsaw being contributed by those contractors to NASA and they will be important incentivizing them keeping them involved allowing them to achieve profitability by their involvement are all important things and they'll all be crucial to the success of the Artemis program to get Americans and get men and women back to the moon and to be able to stay there and explore the place for an extended period and then to use those skills to go on to Mars. If SLS, the Space Launch System, which is the new moon rocket that NASA's been developing with help from Boeing, if there are problems with that or delays or cost overruns and it's taken a long time to get that project going, it may be that some of these private companies are called on to fill in the gaps and to keep things on schedule. But as I said, it's a a pretty ambitious target to have men back on the moon by the mid-20s. We'll see what happens with that. It's going to come down to how America recovers from the COVID pandemic. At the moment, there seems to be bipartisan congressional support for funding, but it may be that the fallout from the pandemic causes a reduction in enthusiasm for such a big spend on getting Americans back to the moon. Artemis 1 is the first test flight scheduled for 2021. Artemis 3 will be the first crewed test flight for 2023. And then 2024, 25 is when they actually land on the moon. The, the initial landing is, is scheduled to last for a week. And then from there, it'll, it'll ratchet up. 
As with Apollo, there'll be robotic missions to test new technologies and surface science investigations and experiments twice per year using commercial delivery services to, to, to get those robots up there. And if you remember back to the 1960s, Surveyor spacecraft were making landings, robotic spacecraft were landing on the surface to provide information to make it safer for humans, to give them a bit of foreknowledge about what to expect on the surface of the moon. So there's a lot of similarities, actually, uh, but the technology is better. It's more ambitious. It's seen as a logical step after 20 years of habitation of the International Space Station since about 2000, 20 years of unbroken human occupation of that space station. They've rotated the crews approximately every six months, and there's been about six people up there on average. I think it was originally intended that there'd be 12 people on the ISS, but uh, they've cut that back for costs and other reasons. I think it's mainly cost. Their logic is that uh, with that experience and knowledge of, of how humans can handle a prolonged space flight on the ISS, and there have been astronauts and, and um, cosmonauts who've stayed up there for longer periods. I think it's about a year is the maximum length of time that any one person has spent unbroken on the ISS. Uh, but the logic is that from there, you go to Artemis, you go back to the moon, you spend longer there, you live off the land, you harvest water, you can make fuel out of that. You also look at the mineralogy of the moon. There may be other exotic elements to be found there, helium-3. If you can do that, if you can live off the land, that reduces the amount of weight that you've got to carry with you to sustain astronauts. So it also adds to the potential to stay there for longer. Following from Artemis, the plan is to go to Mars. You know, that's not going to be until the 2030s or beyond. And that's obviously subject to a whole lot of things. But, you know, one of the reasons that uh, SpaceX is developing their, their big FR, the big... F dot 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 or Falcon rocket is to be able to send lots and lots of people to Mars, colonize the place, which is the dream of Elon Musk, the founder and, and CEO of SpaceX and Tesla and various other businesses. The three key reasons why the US plans to return to the moon with Artemis. One is scientific discovery. Uh, the other are economic benefits, and that would have to be sort of mining um, you know, technologies developed in, developed in space which can be applied on Earth, becoming an interplanetary species and possibly, you know, harvesting resources from, um, from space, from the moon or from asteroids, you know, developing expertise in that area. There's a lot of interest from the private sector in doing just that and inspiring a new generation of explorers. It's almost 50 years since the last person stepped on the moon that was eugene cernan back in 1972 apollo 17 it's 48 years and by the time artemis astronauts are back on the moon it will be 50 years or more and and you know that's that was not what was expected if Werner von braun the developer of the saturn V rocket the uh, the german rocket scientist who was originally building missiles and the v2 for hitler and for the the nazis in world war ii his original dream after developing the Saturn V was that uh, there'd be a bigger version of the Saturn V, an upgraded version, which would allow even um, heavier amounts, larger amounts, and uh, beyond the about 130 metric tons, I think it was, into space. His dream was to go on to Mars to, to use the moon as a stepping stone, but it didn't happen. Um, Nixon cut the funding, became absorbed with the Vietnam War, the rest is history. Werner von Braun was a disappointed man and died quite young. I think he died in his, his mid to late 60s and a little bit disillusioned that his dreams of, of going beyond the moon 
all wound up. And, and in fact, the, the Apollo program was cut short also by Nixon. Um, there were supposed to be, I think, an 18 and 19, Apollo 18 19, so an extra two landings on the lunar surface. Well, they didn't happen. Uh, the rockets which were going to do that are, uh, in fact, in museums or you know on display in America now, just rusting away. There is a document that's been released, and it's quite an interesting PDF that, that you can download. It's called uh, NASA's Plan for Sustained Lunar Exploration and Development. A couple of quotes on the front page of that. One is uh, from President Trump back in December 2017. He said, lead an innovative and sustainable program of exploration with commercial and international partners to enable human expansion across the solar system and to bring back to Earth new knowledge and opportunities. Beginning with missions beyond low Earth orbit, the United States will lead the return of humans to the moon for long-term exploration and utilization, followed by human missions to Mars and other destinations. Now, putting politics aside, there is an election campaign at the moment. We'll know uh, in a little while. Hopefully we'll know uh, who the next president is going to be, whether Mr. Trump gets a second term. But with the timing of, of Artemis and that first landing scheduled for 2024, I mean, that would be the crowning jewel of a, a two-term presidency for uh, President Trump if he were to get a second term. Uh, another quote from the Vice President Pence from 2019, August 2019, at a public meeting of the National Space Council. He said, the NASA administrator shall submit a plan to the chairman of the National Space Council for sustainable lunar surface exploration and development, including necessary technologies and capabilities to enable initial human exploration of Mars. Now, I think that there's been some false starts. There was the uh, Constellation program, which eventually got cut. There's been some false starts. There's been the idea, why would we go back to the moon? We'll just go straight onto Mars. But the logic seems to have come back to, you know, we, wanna, we need to uh, hone our skills and develop technology to survive uh, longer term, live off the land on, on the moon, and then take the next step once those skills have been gained and once that technology has been uh, perfected to then go on to the red planet Mars. So that's kind of where it's at at the moment. Hopefully that'll happen. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au. So robotic missions are considered a key part, as they were in the 1960s with Surveyor and other robotic uh, investigators of the surface and orbiters, which uh, took photos, which, which provided the astronauts which, uh, with navigation information about where to land. Back in the 1960s and early 70s, robotic missions are considered important. The Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter has been imaging and mapping the moon for scientific research in preparation for a human return. And it's got some very detailed images of the surface. There's been an Indian um, spacecraft in orbit. It has mapped the mineralogy of the moon as well, which has been very useful. There'll be rovers on the moon to explore the surface more extensively with a variety of instruments including uh, what are known as uh, in-situ resource utilisation experiments. That's all about trying to live off the land, as we mentioned, uh, harvesting oxygen and water. You can make fuel or you can make air to breathe. It's also considered the moon is a great natural laboratory to further knowledge of planetary processes and evolution. 
and a platform from which to observe the universe. A great place to have uh, telescopes beyond any uh, electromagnetic interference from Earth or the atmosphere. Having telescopes on the dark side of the moon for a permanently shaded crater would yield uh, spectacular views, unimpeded views of the solar system and the universe. With more understanding of the moon, we gain more understanding of our own planet and its evolution. Further investigation of the, the far side of the moon would be very useful. We don't know much about it. There's a Chinese lander rover managed to touch down there, send back images and information. But uh, that's the first time there's been a landing on the far side of the moon, which is permanently facing away from the Earth. So we don't know too much about it. So I mentioned the Space Launch System and the Orion spacecraft. Now, the Orion spacecraft is the module that contains the astronauts that sits on top of that big rocket, which is based actually on old technology. The engines are upgraded versions of what ran on the, on the space shuttle. The solid rocket boosters, which strap onto the side of the rocket, are evolved from the same solid boosters that were used on the space shuttle, but they're upgraded and larger, more lift capacity. There's also the, the concept of having a gateway space station in a halo orbit, on a big looping orbit around the moon. Once during the orbit it gets quite close to the moon, uh, that's when a surface lander can depart and head and descend to the moon or head back up to the orbiter. And it's a very stable place to have uh, an orbit. You don't have the degradation and, and the need to uh, constantly boost the orbit like the, the International Space Station does. It has to be boosted higher every so often, otherwise it would start to get too much drag and to fall down to the surface of Earth, burn up in the atmosphere on the way through. In this halo orbit around the moon, it's considered a very stable place to have a space station specifically for access to the moon. Uh, it's a deep space space station well away from the earth it provides important lessons about how to survive how to how to insulate astronauts from cosmic radiation from other sources of radiation which could be dangerous in in deep space those are things that we need to learn about if we're going to go to mars it's known that the radiation environment not just on the surface of mars but also on the way to mars that deep space radiation environment can be hazardous to people especially over prolonged periods of time so that will be something that needs to be sorted out. It is planned that Artemis 3 in 2024 will be the culmination of the rigorous testing and flight demonstrations that happened with the two prime missions, Artemis 1 and 2. Artemis 3 will see the first woman and the next man on the moon planned for 2024. And then from once that's been achieved, the objective is to build a sustained presence uh, on the lunar surface in preparation for long-term development on the moon in the way of a lunar base and also to hone the skills required to go onto Mars. It's planned that the gateway space station in that, uh, that halo orbit around the moon, which the landers will go to and from, is going to be an international effort. Canada will be involved. It intends to participate in the Gateway and contribute advanced external robotics. They build the robotic arm that uh, was used on the space shuttle and also the uh, robotic arm that's used up on the International Space Station for capturing visiting spacecraft or for manoeuvring astronauts around for repairs and external uh, spacewalks. In October 2019, Japan announced plans to join the US with contributions in habitation components and logistics resupply. 
And in November 2019, the ESA, the European Space Agency, received authorization and funding to support its planned contributions for the Gateway, the International Habitat and the European System, providing refueling infrastructure and telecommunications, which is known as ESPRI, which will both enhance the capabilities of Gateway. Russia apparently has expressed an interest in cooperating on Gateway, as it does with the International Space Station, and that would be a contribution of a docking airlock that allows astronauts to safely go in and out of that uh, Gateway space station. The benefits of having a space station out in lunar orbit, uh, that halo orbit, is that you're beyond the protection of the Van Allen radiation belts. You can then study things like heliophysics, the sun and and how it works, radiation as we talked about, space weather among the uh, early gateway payloads will be a radiation instrument package provided by the ESA and a space weather instrument from NASA. These are things that are vital because they need to monitor what the environment is for that space station to see how safe it will be for astronauts to live up there, especially for long-duration missions. There are also plans for a lunar terrain vehicle, a lunar mobile habitat, and a lunar foundation surface habitat. And these are all things that will be developed for the surface of the moon to allow astronauts to stay there for longer, to venture further, And as it says in this PDF from NASA about Artemis, this is all with a view to ensuring that the return to the moon is, quote, sustainable and leads directly to the first human mission to Mars. Now, the first Artemis base camp, the first place that they're going to go on the lunar surface is the south pole of the moon. The first landing is planned to last a week. And then from there, they'll they'll increase the duration of those landings. Three elements of the Artemis base camp are the LTV that can transport crew around the site. That's the uh, the rover. The habitable mobility platform for long duration trips away from Artemis base camp. And the foundation surface habitat, which will allow short stays for four crew on the lunar south pole. The lunar south pole has been selected because it's believed that there are permanently dark craters there that have water which can be made into oxygen for breathing, for providing air to astronauts, and also to uh, potentially be made into fuel. If you could, uh, you know, develop your facilities to the extent that they can produce rocket fuel, that would be a great place to launch to Mars. You avoid the uh, the need to escape Earth's strong gravity. There's very little atmosphere on the moon, almost nothing. There's also uh, a lot less gravity. So it's a, it's a good place to launch rockets. It's cleaner, you don't pollute, you don't have the danger of the rocket crashing on, on launch. If it's carrying a, a nuclear power pack, you're not risking sort of sprinkling that over a large area, possibly populated by people uh, with, a, with an Earth launch. So lots of benefits of being mobile on the moon allows you to explore different areas. And, you know, in terms of surface area, you've got to think of the moon as as like a large continent on Earth. It's vast. There's a lot of terrain there. There's a lot of complex lunar geography and geology to explore. So uh, having mobility and being able to get around safely and spend an extended period of time there is uh, really useful elements and important elements of Artemis in the longer term. Eventually, the gateway lunar orbiter will have a very large deep space habitation module that would allow astronauts to test how they will live on their voyage to and from mars so there are plans to expand that just as the international space station is modular and has been added to over the years the same thing is planned for that lunar gateway
the first landings of Artemis 3 in 2024, the Gateway space station won't be there. They'll have an Orion spacecraft that goes into orbit around the moon and then they descend from that in a, a lander and then return to the Orion crew transport vehicle and, and then leave lunar orbit and return to Earth. So it's much more similar to the original Apollo landings. It could be that two crew descend to the surface but once gateways up and running and two stay on board the orbiting station. Beyond the initial three Artemis missions, if everything goes according to plan, these deep space missions will be by far the longest duration human missions in history. There'll be the first operational tests of the readiness of the world's, NASA and its partners, long duration deep space systems. So all of this relies on funding. This is one of the key things that some people doubt, the critics would doubt or the skeptics doubt whether these things can happen getting the, the required funding from the international partners you know that that in itself may be in doubt uh, that may uh, be affected by the economic circumstances that apply and vary from country to country you know there's lots of different organizations that will be vital i don't think america can do this on its own whether just from it from a technological point of view but also from a funding point of view i think it's just too much to expect the american taxpayer to come up with this money, and especially given the impact of the COVID pandemic, it's been pretty bad in America, worse than for many other countries. So whether that affects this timetable that's being put forward, it may well be the case that there are delays that, that occur to the timetable of getting there by 2024. And you know whether those partners, the ESA, European Space Agency, JAXA, Japan Space Agency, Canadian Space Agency, Italian Space Agency, Australian Space Agency, UK Space Agency, or even the United Arab Emirates Space Agency, whether they can all contribute and to keep the funding flowing and the technology flowing towards achieving these milestones that have been set out. Really, those things are quite up in the air. As I said to start with, I think that the involvement of private sector, the likes of SpaceX, for example, with, with their heavy lift rocket technology, those things may wind up being more pivotal to all this than originally outlined by NASA. So it may well be much more of a private public partnership than is envisaged. I mean, there's certainly they're talking about using the private sector anyway, but it's the degree or the extent to which that, that happens. And that will also come down to the profitability that um, that can be seen or that, that occurs that will, uh, will drive and encourage private sector involvement. Another factor, which is certainly part of this, it's not mentioned in the uh, NASA documentation, there is a kind of a new space race developing with China. China's got a lander on the far side of the moon, first country to do that. It is developing a, its own uh, human space flight program. It's got its own space station for taikonauts, for Chinese astronauts. As in the 1960s, and the thing that, that was really part of the motivation to succeed with Apollo was to beat the Russians. It may be that a space race that evolves with China could have the same effect now with Artemis and be a catalyst and, and spur the development and be seen as a priority to justify the big expenditure that's required. The very end of this PDF titled NASA's Plan for Sustained Lunar Exploration and Development, I'll include links with this story. There's a, um, an interesting quote. Artemis and the development of Artemis Base Camp on the moon will inspire the world with the ability and commitment of American leadership and in the positive potential of humanity as a whole. If we are to leave a legacy of greatness, hope, limitless opportunity and growth to future generations, then it is a mission we cannot afford to postpone. 
People thought that Apollo was going to lead to this sort of stuff. There was talk about getting to Mars in the 1980s with people. Didn't happen. Cuts were made. It was kind of seen as a victory. The political side of it took hold and they'd won the space race. They'd beaten the Russians. An era of detente came in in the 1970s. And in fact, there was spacecraft from Russia and and, uh, America joining in orbit, symbolically, you know, showing a, a thawing in Cold War relations between those two countries. The politics can change everything. Let's see what happens this time around. I think that the, the couple of key things, uh, one is going to be the involvement of, of the private sector that wants to make money out of and can, can see a way to make money out of, out of space. SpaceX, for example, has, has got contracts with NASA, billions of dollars worth of contracts. They've also developed the Crew Dragon, a very modern spacecraft, which has shown itself to be reliable to get people up to the ISS and back. And that's ended the reliance on uh, the Russians and their Soyuz spacecraft, which for nine years was the only way that Americans could get up into low Earth orbit and visit the International Space Station. So it could be a big role for the private sector in the success of Artemis, the B. FR or Starship, as it's also known, could have a role. But it is about evolution of exploration. They show that they can get back to the moon. 2024 is the target. Then they develop the Gateway Space Station, that modular, smaller than the ISS, but modular. It may wind up being a similar size, who knows? But they develop that. They develop their landing and ascent capabilities. They also develop their lunar terrain vehicles and and allow for mobility on the surface, whether unmanned, robotic, or to move people around. Then they expand the range of surface exploration and in-situ resource utilisation demonstrations. And then the gateway is augmented by an international habitat for increased capabilities and a larger and better space for people to live and work up there in orbit around the moon. Then the Foundation's surface habitat and habitable mobility platform is delivered to complete Artemis base camp. And then expanded habitation capability is added to the gateway to enable Mars mission dress rehearsals at the moon. So uh, literally a simulated landing on Mars, but done on the moon, a dress rehearsal. The final step of the evolution towards a Mars mission uh, on the moon with Artemis is the uh, the Mars mission dress rehearsal, but with longer in-space and surface durations. Again, to test technologies, to test the radiation environment, to see how people's bodies can respond to that deep space environment, uh, which is a bit different to the environment that's uh, experienced by astronauts on board the ISS. Certainly there's information there that's useful about how to survive, how to keep people healthy, but there'll be a new data set that's gained from orbiting the moon in deep space and also visiting those habitats that are set up at the uh, Artemis base camp on the lunar surface. 